Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. This week's episode is a bonus episode with Deshaun Harrison. Deshaun is a non-binary abolitionist and community organizer based out of Atlanta, Georgia. They work as the lead organizer of Solutions Not Punishment Collaborative, aka SNAPCO. SNAPCO is a black, trans, and queer-led collaborative that builds the power of black, trans, and queer people to wage and win campaigns that force systematic divestment from the prison industrial complex and investment in the services that support them. Their mission is grounded in their commitment toward ending mass crisis of passive genocide, incarceration, and criminalization of black trans women, other black trans and queer people, and the larger black community. Deshaun is now working to complete their forthcoming book, tentatively titled Belly of the Beast, which is set to be published next year. Let's give a warm welcome to Deshaun. Let's just go ahead and get started by you telling us a little bit about yourself, um, if you want to share your pronouns, a little bit about your background, and the work that you do with Snapco. Yes. Um, so I'm Deshaun Harrison. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I am non-binary. Um, and um, yeah, so I have been organizing here in Atlanta for a little over six years now. Um, when I first moved here to go to school at Morehouse College, I started organizing there back in 2014, and I've been organizing ever since. Um, and so my work, I've done a lot of work here in the city around a lot of different things, um, around police brutality and police abolition, police abolition and um, going over sex workers' rights and sex work decriminalization, HIV decrim. Um, I've done a lot of campus-based work. I've done a lot, of, a lot of work here, but my work specific to SNAPCO has been, um, I started working with SNAPCO in January of this year. So I've been at SNAPCO now for six months. Um, wow, I've been at SNAPCO for six months. <laughs> Happy six-month anniversary. <laughs> You know, <laughs> it just, it came so fast. We've been doing so much. Um, right. I've been working at SNAPCO now for six months, and my work has been specifically around sex work decrim um, and HIV decrim, specifically as it relates to Black trans women and other Black trans and queer folks, um, as that is the work that SNAPCO is centered around. So SNAPCO is a Black trans-led um, organization here in Atlanta. It's only local to Atlanta, so it's not like a, a regional organization or a national organization. It's only local. And we do work that is specific to um, bettering the world for Black trans people and Black queer people. And so that looks like being abolitionist and, and doing work around ending um, and closing jails in the city, um, doing work around... Um, uh, a better a better world for sex work, um, a decriminalized sex work, um, a decriminalized HIV, um, so that folks have the space and the room to be able to, you know, live and, and work freely without being criminalized, without being stigmatized. Mm. And so since January, my work has been specifically 
um, committed to that. It has been where I've worked with other Black trans folks and Black queer folks um, via coalition or collectives, whatever it might be, to do campaigns around um, those two things in particular. And right now, Snapco is in the middle of launching our sex work campaign um, with some of our collaborators where we will be attacking the city, county, and state level um, to make sure that laws are put in place or are repealed to make sex work decriminalized um, for all folks, but especially for Black trans folks. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that because so much of, as I'm sure you can guess, Georgia is a really conservative state. Mm -hmm. um, Atlanta is a terribly conservative state and city. Uh, and so because of that, so much of what happens here is there's a push for an end to sex trafficking, but that oftentimes is conflated with sex work right. and therefore even further stigmatized in the city and in the state and in the county. And so our work is going to be separating sex work from sex trafficking, being clear about the distinction between the two and what the state, city, and county can do um, to not only shift their language, but also shift their policies to make the city and the state and the county safer for Black trans sex workers. Absolutely. Wow. You really just laid it down. Thank you so much for explaining all of that. Um, that after was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, of course. Well, yeah, thank you again. And and yeah, so so definitely a lot of work um, that y'all are doing, definitely a lot of work to be done and a lot of work that you're working towards. Um, can you speak a little bit about kind of what so our listeners right now, you know, are are hopefully looking for a way to take action, right? Hopefully looking for a way to be involved, to do the work, uh, to step up to the plate. Um, and I'm wondering what kind of work or anti-racist actions in particular can listeners be taking um, that SNAPCO is kind of explaining to folks or kind of sharing knowledge and information for folks to be able to be, um, you know, obviously with Black-led organizations, something that is very important first of all, to say is that it's not the job of black people to explain to non-black people what what it is they should be doing. So that's number one. But while while you're here and while you're an expert in the work, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, some anti-racist actions that SNAPCO is kind of asking of folks or encouraging folks to do at this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say some of these are specific to SNAPCO, but some of them are just my my own yes um, and I we want both because I, yeah <laughs> um i think that's an important distinction to make but yeah so right now um folks can absolutely be donating money first and foremost right um offering up resources um that are monetary to not only to black-led organizations but also just to black individuals right because oftentimes um organizations have protocols that they have to follow, which takes getting money to folks um, a lot longer than it would if you just donate directly to Black folks, um, especially Black trans and queer folks. So that's one of the biggest ways folks can be involved. Another way that folks can be involved um, is by offering up other resources, like offering 
up your home to folks who like making your home a, a safe home for protesters if they're being chased by police or um, opening up your home to like black folks in other ways or opening up maybe if you own like a youth center or like whatever type of resource you have, um, making it available to black folks, especially in this moment um, where it's time to capitalize off of um, the momentum, but also the the amount of commitment that folks are showing mm. to um, to black folks in this time. So being able to offer other resources um, and making yourself a resource and making yourself available to black folks. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that I'm offering folks, it's not necessarily true for Snapco, but it is true for me, is that um, I think it is imperative in this moment for white folks in particular um, to be showing up at these protests mm -hmm. and to be putting their literal bodies on the line. Um, should it, should that be required, right? Like black folks have been, since we arrived in this country, have, have been consistently um, resisting um, and, and, and showing up against our own oppression. And I think that it is past time for, for white folks to show up and, and use their literal bodies as resources, right? Because we know that whiteness is a resource um, mm -hmm. for white folks. It is to give sure. access to um, to being able to stand literally in between police and black folks to stop a bullet, right? Um, to stop police from shooting. So um, I think that right now is a really important time while folks are still out in the streets protesting, while organizations are now looking for more membership, um, For it's time for white folks and non-black people of color to show up at these these protests um, and use their bodies as resources, um, you know, create barricades around black folks, create um, lines between black folks and the police, all different types of things to use your actual body um, however you can to stop police violence um, and to stop state sanctioning violence. Um, but also for, I think, all folks right now to be showing up and, and getting involved with their local organizations. There are so many orgs in cities across the country that how, that are really in need, especially organizations like SNAPCO that are not regional or national, um, that could really use the membership, that could really use um, people's minds and brilliance and creativity and bodies and all the things uh, in this space. And so I think right now is a really uh, integral point for folks to show up in these organizations and really commit themselves. And I, and I, I think it's important for me to note that showing up and being part of these orgs doesn't necessarily mean that you have to lead anything and that you have to be at the forefront of anything at all, but mm -hmm. it means that there has to be some level of commitment um, that is going to push us closer to liberation. And right now, um, there are too many people, I think, that are comfortable with, you know, especially white folks that are comfortable with following a couple accounts here and saying hashtag Black Lives Matter here and there, um, and then, you know, like calling it a day. And mm. while I don't, everyone has to be on the ground. I recognize that there are a lot of reasons why people can't be on the ground, especially in the middle of COVID-19. I do think that there is a responsibility for folks to do more um, than offer lip service or do more than the bare minimum of following two or three black people and hashtagging once or twice a week. Um, and so, you know, that looks like getting involved with an org in figuring out what their digital strategy is and asking to be a part of the digital strategy or developing a digital strategy with you and your friends around educating um, white folks and building out political education um, for white folks. Or uh, I even, I 
saw one white person online this week um, say that it looks like um, disowning your, your your family if they're unwilling to to um, let go of their racism, right? Their anti-blackness. Um, and and I know that some of these things sound really radical, but or they sound really harsh. But what is worse is the actual experience of of dealing with anti-blackness across spectrums mm. um, as black people, right? And I think that there has to be a, a much greater commitment from white folks and non-black people of color to black liberation if we are ever going to see um, that freedom. Just letting that sink in for a hot second. Absolutely. Yes. Um, thank you so much for sharing that list. And, and like you said, yes, like things like, you know, having these hard conversations with family members and really saying like stating your values, um, is challenging and also very necessary. I mean, I think we're at a kind of pinnacle moment here where, it, you really see who like I feel like we we saw that pinnacle moment in 2016 when like Trump got elected and then you're like oh shit like I have serious problems with my relatives or people who I know who like are voting for Trump and now here's kind of like a second more intense more on the line round of that where it's like okay I you know we're the moments where people say like, well, let's just not talk politics. It's like, no, we're, we're kind of done with that. And we've been done with that. And it's really time for people to step up and support. I mean, it obviously it doesn't need to be said, but like it shouldn't have taken countless lives, countless black lives being lost and consistently being lost every day amidst this, you know, uprising, essentially necessary uprising um, for people to be having these conversations and yet here we are. So I don't know. That's my right. own kind of rant, but I'm very grateful that, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I agree. And I think, um, that even to your point, um, around, you know, you, you pointed back to 2016, the Trump's election. And I know so many black folks, myself included, who would point us back to Ferguson in 2014, mm. uh, as a really pivotal moment. And I think that, I'm I'm really glad that you named that because intentionally intentionally or not I think it just it speaks to exactly how different our experiences really are mm. um, and therefore how important it is for non-black people to be in relationship to um, and and to respect the leadership of black folks and black organizers because so many of us have been doing this work far like far longer than um, a lot of the newly engaged non-black folks, right? Right. Um, I'm just, I'm glad that you, that you said that and that that point was able to be made. Yes, absolutely. You're totally right. And like non-black people like myself, like unless we were having these conversations, this would never be brought up. Like we're all kind of in our own bubbles of social media and I, I can have, or anyone can have the most liberal, 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 liberal <laughs> group of friends that they want. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to understand and really hear black experiences. And I think that's, that's the whole point. And yes, thank you for pointing that out. Um, okay. We got a couple more questions here. Um, one is what kind of literature would you recommend that folks read or kind of, are there videos that you recommend that folks watch, um, to learn more about anti-racism and specifically dismantling 
white supremacy? Um, are there kind of publications that you really go to or are there certain articles or books or, or things that you as an organizer have found to be extremely helpful in engaging folks who may be interested but may not really completely um, be quite there yet? Yeah. Well, I am um, a columnist and associate editor for Wear Your Voice magazine. Yes. uh, And I know this magazine. Do you know why? And I don't think I mentioned this before, but because I went to UC Berkeley with um, someone, a family member of the founder of Wear Your Voice. Oh, wow. Yes. Ravni is is so cool. I love her so much. And she is, um, she it's just, she's so brilliant and so, and so kind. And she really has, um, a huge imagination for what the world can look like. And I value that so much, um, about her. And so I'm thankful to, you know, to be working there. Um, but yeah, where your voice is, I think one of, in my very biased, but also unbiased opinion, um, <laughs> is one of the most, um, necessary publications that there is in the world right now. Um, I think that we're, we're publishing content that is not happening across most digital platforms. And um, I think that, that that's really important and that folks really should tune in to Wear Your Voice, especially because we're a black and brown um, run and operated um, indie feminist publication, right? So there are so many like investors who are not interested in investing in our work because of the type of content we produce. And so mm-hmm. it really is um, funded by our readers. And so I think that, you know, Where Your Voice is absolutely one. But then there are places like um, Black Youth Project and Race Bader, who I've written for before, both of them. Um, there's Gal Dim, there's Bitch Media, there is um, Color Block. Um, there's so many, I think, really beautiful and brilliant indie publications that produce really great content. And those are just some. But in terms of like um, like books and literature in that regard, um, instead of giving names, because I have so many that I could just offer right now, I'm just going to offer or I'm going to offer authors names. Um, so there's Kiase Lehman. There is... Um, there is, I'm looking at names right now in front of my face. Um, Angela Dickens, of course, because I have books all around my house and I'm right. just looking around right now. <laughs> there's Angela Davis, of course. There's Jennifer Nash. There is um, Stuffy Carmichael or Kwame Ture. Um, there is Claudia Jones. There are so many brilliant Black folks. Um, Toni Morrison, Daniel Black. Uh, Fanon, I love Fanon and I really respect his work and he's actually one of my favorite writers. Um, I think that people, Michelle Foucault is not a a black writer, but is a necessary writer in terms of understanding, um, in terms of understanding how prisons work and the function of prisons and how prisons are not just the four walls. Mm. Um, And so I think Michelle Foucault, while very difficult to read because he is truly an academic, um, is a necessary person to read. Um, and there's so many folks, Jeffrey McCoon, Marlon Riggs, E. Patrick Johnson, um, Bill Hooks, Audrey Lord, Zora Neale Hurston. I'm just listing off so many black yes. authors who can can read and should read because these are the folks who have, you know, set the table for all of us to be able to stand on mm. um, and who continue to add to the black literary canon um, in ways that I can only hope to with, with my book. Um, and 
Yes, and I also just want to offer up Patricia Hill Collins. I love her a lot, and she is, I don't, black feminism would not be what it is if not for her, and so I always have to name her. Um, and yeah, those are just some of my favorite black authors right now, black literary. That, uh, incredible. Thank you so much. And let's take a hot sec to plug your book. So if you want to just kind of talk a little bit, if you are okay with that, about your yeah. book and just what it's about and when it's coming out. And um, also at the end of that, if you can just share like where folks can find you um, and Snapco on social media and where folks can donate um, to your organization. Yeah. Um, so my book is tentatively titled Belly of the Beast. Um, and the book is about anti-fatness and anti-blackness as it relates to, or how they intersect, and as it relates to black men, black trans mask folks, and black AMAB non-binary people. Um, and so black studies doesn't really ever talk about fat studies. And fat studies um, very much excludes black folks in general, um, but especially black folks who are not cis women. Um, and so my work is going to be specific to trans and queer folks and just black men in general, um, who are often left out of what, what it means to be navigating these two um, marginalized identities at once. Um, and so I titled it Belly of the Beast because I'm referring to a, a literal belly as if to call call upon the fatness of the person um, and beast as as to talk about the anti-blackness that is in making um, black folks who look like me animalistic or beastly. Mm. Um, and so the book is going to be talking about a lot of different things. There'll be a chapter on desirability politics. Um, there'll be a chapter on healthism and, and the medical industry. There's going to be a chapter on police brutality and um, and what that looks like specific to us. So pointing back to 2014 again, um, talking about 2014 all the way up through now with George Floyd, how the media frames um, Black, fat, and larger folks um, who were murdered, mm. um, and how most of the murders that became popularized between these years were of fat Black men, um, and what that means in the grand scheme of things of how police brutality or how fatness plays a role in the the murders of black folks in general, but black men in particular. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be um, coming out next year, 2021. It was supposed to be coming out in summer of 2021, um, and it still might. But um, as I'm sure you can imagine, with the onset of COVID-19 and then this um Re these recent uprisings that have been going on for about two weeks now, mm -hmm. it's been hard for me to write in this time. Of course. Um, and so um, it's a possibility that it'll be pushed back until the fall, um, but that's not set in stone yet. But it will be out in 2021, and I'm really excited about it. I think that this is going to be really innovative and, and really different for both Black Studies and Fat Studies, um, and I hope that I hope that the world is ready um, and I hope that folks are, um, that they read it with an open heart and open minds um, and ready to engage the content. Um, so yeah, that's my book. And I cannot wait to read it also. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and thank you for giving me the space to talk about it. I'm really excited about it. Of course. Um, and so yeah, if you are wanting to follow me online, 
Um, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, I am Deshaun LH, so D-A-S-H-A-U-N-L-H. Um, and then Snapco is Snap for Freedom, the number four freedom, um, both on Instagram or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, so you can follow us there. And then you can um, donate to us by going to our website or going to paypal.me slash solutions, not punishment collaborative um, to donate to our organization. Ah, oh, perfect. And one last thing, if I could ask you, I know this is a lot of pressure and people sometimes hate this question, but kind of if you have kind of like one final thing that you really hope folks who are listening get from this interview, what, what would that be? Um, I actually love that question. I always enjoy being asked that because it makes me think. Um, but I think that my answer to that is one that I've been sticking with for the last few days, especially. And that is, I, I want folks to open themselves up to having a greater imagination. Um, when we talk about abolition, I know it becomes really hard for people to, to grasp because we can't imagine a world without prisons, a world without police, a world without borders, a world without ICE, a world without states and countries. And we, like, we can't imagine a world that looks so drastically different um, than the one that we have now. Um, but I believe that it's possible, and I believe it's possible because I have an imagination that shows me that it is. Um, and so I want, on top of reading the literature, of course, I really hope that folks um, are able to open themselves up to a greater imagination that will lead them um, to an understanding that abolition is possible. And not only is it possible, but that it can happen sooner than we think. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to support Deshaun Harrison, their Patreon is patreon.com slash Deshaun L. Harrison. That's D-A-S-H-A-U-N-L Harrison. H-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. Their cash app is cash.me slash dollar sign Deshaun L. Harrison. Venmo is at Deshaun dash Harrison. And PayPal is paypal.me slash Deshaun Harrison. You can find more about them in their portfolio on their website, DeshaunHarrison.com. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, a.k.a. DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time.